Recently, Nashville and other parts of Middle Tennessee were struck by a tornado, and this calamity claimed the lives of around 25 people, and it caused a great amount of damage. And whenever we contemplate events such as these, they bring us a serious theological question on how God relates to natural disasters. And after being brought this question, it's important for those of us to talk about it. Because what do we do? We look at the world and we say, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people and bad things or bad people to receive good blessings? We look at those questions and they do put us in a in a position where theological thought comes to mind. So we're going to talk about that today. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few others with me here in the studio. Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike. All righty. Well, a few things real quick. I do want to sh- throw a shout out to one of our patrons. Um, Ernest sent me some Swatch watches. He knows exactly what I like. Um, so thank you much. And before we go any further, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Let's pray over our, our victims. Pastor Mike, would you pray for those who are... Absolutely. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you are the God who is able to calm the storms. And so, dear God, in the midst of storms of life here, Lord, we just ask for you to uh, be with those victims who have lost loved ones, those who have lost housing, and there's still so many that are without electricity. Uh, Lord, we just pray for your presence to be with all the workers there, um, your spirit to rest upon them, uh, watch over and protect them. And, Lord, we just pray as your body comes together that we uh, comfort those who are in such uh, uh, suffering. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And remember to check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you watch your videos or get your podcast. And if you would like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. And thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be taking a break from our look into the seven deadly lies inside the church and today we're going to be talking about this natural disaster which has come to nashville and middle tennessee so just a few days ago on march 3rd 2020 a tornado hit middle tennessee and caused a great amount of damage the tornado had claimed around 25 lives and despite this tragedy and despite the difficulties of this situation there have been a lot of people respond to this very compassionately. There's been a very large and compassionate response from charitable people giving their finances, giving their time to help with relief. And it's a moment where we have opportunity for people to come together. And it's also a moment where we need to have clear theological guidance about how God relates to natural disasters. Because this does present us with a very serious theological question about God and why would God allow bad things to happen to good people and why good things would happen to bad people. When you hear the story of those who have died in this tornado, there was one where a family had passed away from this and they they had their little baby with them. And whenever we hear those stories, our hearts are moved with sorrow. We want an answer as to how a just God would allow such a thing to happen to those who are so innocent. And this is um, a place where we do have to set aside some time to pray, to pray for those who who are victims in this and not just to make it into a nice, cute hashtag, but to really spend some time praying for those and to examine our own lives and realize that an event like this can happen really just about any time. This is why it's so important for us to be right with God and right with others in the world. And this moment reminds us of that truth. And before we get much further along, I know there's a lot of people who might be wondering how the Nazarene Church as a whole has responded to this disaster. So I'm going to throw this over to Pastor Amanda to give us a little bit of an update of what all's been going on here in Nashville. Uh, one of the main ways uh, Nazarenes uh, have set, uh, responded not only to this disaster but to many disasters is crisis care kits. Uh, these are two-gallon bags filled with um, various things that people who are going through a crisis may need. Um, and earlier, the church and the Nazarene here in Middle Tennessee and also in Cookville and other areas that were affected by the storm had asked for crisis care kits. However, uh, we got an email earlier today that said that uh, needs have changed, and so they're not accepting any more of those crisis care kits at this time to just hold on and wait for further instruction. Um, there are churches who have probably collected some items for that, um, but until they kind of get better specific needs on what the best response is, they've asked for people to hold on before sending them uh, to Nashville. Another way the church has responded is volunteers. We have a team that's called the Nazarene Disaster Relief Team. Um, that's also something that happens around the world. 
uh, through the Nazarene Church, but we have a chapter here in Nashville, and they have responded. Uh, there are varying levels of uh, skilled labor that are needed uh, during or after as a response to um, a disaster like this. And so they've also asked that we hold off on sending any more volunteers unless you have already signed up for that. And that's because, you know, there's buildings falling apart, there are tree limbs falling, and so they need to make sure some of these areas are uh, not entered unless you are a professional who knows how to handle those situations. So if you would like to volunteer, however, there is a website to go to. It is um, Hands On Nashville, and Hands On Nashville actually is a citywide website that deals with lots of different organizations and so the organizations go to hands on national saying we need a b and c and then that website then connects volunteers with those skills or have that time to come and to do that so if you would like to volunteer and you're in the nashville or cookville or nashville area um go through that website as a way of doing that or you can contact our uh, ndr uh director who is joe drake and who's also the pastor at Bethel. Another way we can help with this situation or are are helping now and continue to help is through financial giving. And I think we have a slide or something that will show the website you can go to. Um, Also, if you're at uh, Hands-On Nashville, they also have ways of connecting to various organizations to give. But if you would like to give directly to Nazarene Disaster Relief, uh, you can go to the website that is on... uh, yeah, we've got a slide made for it. It's, it's actually hard to say. It's midsouth-district-church-of-the-nazarene.square.site. And I'm and sure if you go to if you Google uh, Mid-South District Nazarene and go to the Mid-South District's website, you can probably navigate through there as well, yeah. but they did that is the direct website if you would like to give directly to that um, and so those are kind of the ways that they're giving. There's also, I believe, on the Mid-South NMI, Nazarene Missions International Facebook page, there's more information of different things and ways you can give. Uh, First Church of the Nazarene on Woodland, which is only a couple blocks away from the disaster area in East yeah. Nashville, uh, has been a site for handing out or receiving and handing out donations. Um, so any of those ways that you would like to give or participate. And also you can contact, um, I know a lot of my family has contacted me about how to help from North Carolina and from Kansas. And so they'll send, they're going to send stuff to our church and then we're going to make sure it gets to the places that need to get to. So contact your local pastor as well if you'd like to find out more information of how you can help. And it should be noted, we... The, those of us here in the studio, we're in Nashville, mm-hmm. like right now. Like this is our neck of the woods. I guess we probably should add that caveat in there. This is a very local thing for yes. us. Um, I think the tornado hit just about three miles north of where our church is and where we live um, and stopped yeah. about a mile before where my brother lives. And so, yeah, so our areas directly weren't affected, but we're not even a couple of miles away from a lot of the areas that were hit pretty hard. Right, right. So there's a couple of scriptures I want us to look at before we get into our theological conversation. And these are part of our theological conversation, but they're more or less scriptures to use as a framework. And I want us to start really all the way back in the book of Genesis, because one of the things that's important to understand as we ask these difficult questions about why God would allow something like this to happen is we have to understand where creation actually is. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, and this is the beginning of the story of Noah, we find that it reads the following. Genesis 6, 12 is, And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. Now, what we find in that scripture is that flesh here is not just humanity. It's everything with the breath of life. Creation itself has been corrupted. That's the framework for when the flood happens. Now, a lot of people may look at the flood and they may look at a tornado and say, well, if God brought a natural disaster then, why isn't he going to do that again now? But again, an important element in the flood story is God promises, you know, I'm I'm not going to do this again. But just to understand the framework of everything that happens in the world, creation is fallen. And one of the things that leads to that corrupted state is the the sin of man. And we do find there again in Genesis chapter 6, that fifth verse says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And so what we find in that verse there, and again, this is just the framework of how the entire state of the world is. There at the time of the flood, the only thing people were thinking about was evil continually. 
And now this wasn't like a little side dish of evil where, you know, you, you went and you bought your hamburger and you got your French fries and now you've got a little side dish of evil ketchup to dip your fries in and kind of eat that from time to time. No, this was not a side dish. This was the full meal. And in fact, it was the only meal. It was the only thing people were doing. They were just being gluttons of evil continually. It was the only thing they were thinking about. They were either doing evil or they weren't breathing is basically what's happening there. And the contamination of of what we find going on there in Genesis chapter 6 is so severe that it goes to a cosmic scope where you find things like the sons of God are there intermingling with the the daughters of, of Eve and you get this weird cosmic just chaos and God steps in and says something's got to be done about this. But even after the flood, again, a lot of times people look at the flood and they'll say, well, is that why the tornado happened? Um, the answer is a little bit of yes and no, simply because creation is fallen because of sin. But at the same time, God has also promised that he's not going to respond this way again. And in Genesis 9:11, God says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall a flesh be cut off from the waters of a flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And when God said that in Genesis chapter 9, I don't think he's telling a lie or that he's walking back on his covenant. I think he's just telling people that, you know, creation is tainted, but I'm not going to do this for you again. I'm going to redeem you rather than to destroy you. Moving to the New Testament, the last scripture I want us to contemplate is from the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. And this is where Jesus is giving signs for the new era. But we have to be careful because they're not a complete set of signs. And as we'll find when I read through verses 7 and 8, these are just the beginnings of the birth pangs. They're not a complete, they're not enough to make a formula. But whenever natural disasters happen, they'll point somewhere like Matthew 24, 7 and say, where nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And in verse 8, all of this is but the beginnings of the birth pangs. People look to that and they'll say, well, okay, so we've got this kind of apocalyptic chapter in Matthew, and it's talking about all this stuff happening. Does that mean that a new era is coming? Do you know the tornado come through town? Is it a new era? Well, as the scriptures tell us, um, by the scriptures on testimony, this is but the beginning of birth pain. So it's not enough to make a, a calculation. This is not the main event. It's not even all the markers of the next event. It's just the state of fallen creation. So let's get to our theological conversation on this. So going around our studio, I've got some different questions for us. Um, and I'm going to start with, with Pastor Mike, if that's okay. What really is the state of fallen creation? Is, is something like a tornado, where does that fit in? What is the state of fallen creation? Well, you know, God created us, uh, created all of the world to be, you know, in, in harmony and work together with one another. And because of the the fallen humanity and and everything that comes about then creation is fallen as well with that and and so you know god is a god who creates free will and and humans have that free will and so we see you know god gets blamed for a lot of things he doesn't do god in our scriptures has worked through nature but at the same time um, nature kind of has its own free will as well as, as how things work. And there are, you know, scientific ways that things work that God has uh, um, initiated, created there. So you mentioned that man has, they're created in the image of God and they've had their fall. But where does nature fit in with that as far as the fall goes? And that's one of the reasons I brought up this Genesis text from chapter 6. Um you know, where, where does nature sit as opposed to Eden, outside of Eden? You don't hear a lot of conversation there in Scripture in those first few chapters of Genesis, but by the time you get to 6, you do get some indicators that some sort of change has happened. Oh, absolutely. There is there is a change where you, you see that nature is, is part of that uh, fallen world that we live in that, uh, you know, it, it just can be where human beings um, are fallen and not reflecting the image of God and evil is part of that free will choice. They choose to follow, um, you know, anything other than God and God's desire. But we also see that creation has fallen as well. In other yeah. words, it doesn't live in that 
perfect harmony that it was initially created in. Yeah, we do not live in creation as it was originally designed by God. Right. You know, that that's pretty foundational to Christian orthodoxy. And when you look at a biblical worldview, it we learn from very early on that we are not in the Garden of Eden. And that has effects beyond just the immediate, beyond just your personal self. That really has big ramifications for how the world operates around you. Yeah, and that, that goes to say, some people will say, did God, you know, was there really a Garden of Eden? Where is it at? That's not to say that God didn't have a a a geographical, literal place of a Garden Eden, but from a metaphorical uh, stance, there is a, a possibility that God did use it both as a literal place, but also from a metaphorical where we have been out of that Garden of Eden. And with that being said, not only is humanity a fallen uh, being, but so is all of creation. Yeah. And to that point, it's it's kind of pretty clear man was not ever meant to find that garden again by our yes, own power. Yes, that's true. Um, it's kind of some barriers sit there where you can't just waltz back into it at your own whim. Uh, Pastor Amanda, coming over to you, when people, they look at God's authority, there are a lot of people who will think that you're diminishing the power of God if you don't consider him to be fully responsible for every action. You know, Pastor Mike said people attribute things to God that they really shouldn't. You know, there is this notion that if God is supremely powerful, he has to be the supreme puppet master. Mm-hmm. Just what what are your thoughts on that, and where does that play a role? Is God the ultimate puppet master? What What's going on here? I think what's surprising about this question, it's quite ancient um, in its, its view of what a deity has to be in order for it to be a deity. And we see that still perpetrated in, in our world today, in our thoughts, in our philosophy, and even our theology. Um, for God to be God... You know, there has to be this way we define his infiniteness, his power, his might. And what we find in all of those things, for every attribute we want to give a deity, uh, whether it is the Almighty, uh, we find a baby in the manger. For its infiniteness, we we find uh, Jesus who had a birthday and a death date. Um, For all these things that we try to to kind of describe God with, we find God is quite good at uh, subverting our expectations. And so when we come to this conversation of, is God the ultimate puppet master? And there are some who uh, are Christians and who believe in God and have a very deterministic and predestined uh, part of their theology. And one day they will stand before a just and loving God and God will do what God decides on that. But that is not part of our theology, specifically as Wesleyan Arminians. Uh, that the all-powerful, almighty God decided to give space and room for free will. Now, that's easy then to discuss when we talk about tragedies that are perpetrated at the hands of other human beings. We say, well, someone chose to do evil. Someone chose to um, create a tragedy. But what do we do then with natural disasters? And we see that God has created an order. And as Mike even mentioned, or Pastor Mike mentioned earlier, creation itself kind of has free will. And not that it is thinking or that it was created in the image of God, but there's an order to it. And, you know, there's a scientific uh, principle that says for every action, there is an equal yet opposite reaction. And so if uh, the winds are just right and the different pressures that formulate storms are just right, then you get a tornado. And I am not a weather or science expert, so I apologize if that was quite um, bad. Um, But things happen because things happen. We also recognize that even in a world of order, because it is a fallen creation, that there is disorder. And so sometimes, you know, you can do everything right. You can, you know, follow the weather alerts. You can hide in your basement or uh, the most interior room, uh, like your bathroom is what they usually suggest, and death and destruction still comes. And so yeah. it, it it's orderly and it's disorderly, and we have to make sense of it, but at the same time understand that there is a loving and compassionate God who's allowed these things to happen. Yet, at the same time, this is where we have to do the balance. God is not a puppet master, but nor is God kind of the watchmaker who just sets everything up and then steps back. There's a, there is a, not a riding the fence, but there is a Wesley middle way that speaks to a God who's involved, but is not intrusive. Well, I think where this kind of takes us is to the question of whether God is a puppet master or a creator. Mm. 
And to be one who is a creator means you are you are making things which have some level of agency themselves. In other words, they're capable of of acting. And that's one of the things which is really, really beautiful at, about understanding God being the master of, of creation rather than just the grand puppet master. Anthony, your thoughts on this? I was just going to quickly say um, <clears throat> a lot of times we attribute most to God power and then we might ascribe some honorable human qualities. And that's why it's, I think it's easy for people to imagine the domino puppet master God the God who knocks over the dominoes and who plays with his puppets. But we have to consider that a lot of times what we see God portraying to be powerful and what he portrays to be great is often very different to our human intuitions. And so I think the scriptures are pretty plainly clear that the loving and powerful thing for God to do was to allow for free will to exist, which is really a great and awesome blessing that we, in effect, also can choose to abuse <clears throat> and thereby corrupt the rest of creation around us. Pastor Mike, a logical question that would come up with this, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about, you know, how responsible is God for, say, a tornado? One of the questions that we have to answer is, did God create evil and did God create tragedy? If he is to be understood as a creator rather than a puppet master, um, which, with this particular topic, there may not be a lot of difference in the mind of the question. But nonetheless, do, where does God sit in terms of creating evil and, and tragedy? Well, you know, you start with is God is, a, is the God of order uh, rather than chaos. And so when chaos is brought in a sense of uh, tornadoes and things of that nature, we don't know how far that tornado may have continued to go. And we've heard of the stories of, of people praying tremendously and stuff. And so, you know, I believe God did bring calm that storm and bring order to the midst of all the chaos and at the same time all the overwhelming amount of people the the people that are created in the image of God comes and and uh, you know supports in the suffering and is there to uh, deliver and rescue and clean up and all of those things the the aftermath of the chaos order is returning back to uh, Nashville. And though the process may be slow, you can see uh, the best in people being drawn out. And so I'm not saying that God calls the storm, but I do say that, that the image that God created human beings, what might be bad, God is pulling good out of that yeah. in a way. And so I guess well, you're he's asking... redeeming it, right? Huh? He's redeeming it, right? He's redeeming it. And, you know, the, the question, did God create evil? And I want to fall back on what Anthony was saying about God created humanity with in his image, and, and that means that they are free will. Free people can think and choose. With that being said, can we choose evil? Yes. The question, does God, I guess the question goes, does, is, is, uh, did God create Satan, the evil Satan or the devil? And the truth is God created beings that can choose. And that devil is, is uh, chose to be evil, uh, to disobey God and to be the enemy, not only of God, but of all humanity and all creation. And in turn, there is an answer for that that God has, and that is a hell. Um, and that is another, another thought that for us as humans, we often are somewhat in our thinking confined to the life as we know it in these bodies, but it's not the end of this life, of the soul and the spirit. Um, there is a kingdom of heaven um, that exists. Yeah, and to the question of did God create evil, I think a good understanding of it is very much like light and dark. Darkness itself is not really a thing. It's just the absence of light. And when God gives his creations the ability to choose, it's not like a fake choice, like you're trying to choose between do I want you know, different brands of, of bottled water or something like that, where they're in principle the same thing. But there's an actual fundamental different choice. And what we find when you look biblically and you look there early in Genesis, the fruit that Adam and Eve eat is not the tree of good and evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's an important distinction to make because 
Evil is something which is an absence of that which is godly, that which is of God's order and God's design. So it's something which, rather than being created, it's uncreated. And in fact, when you look at, there are a lot of old books on like demons and demonology and the different books of that, like the Key of Solomon, a lot of times they describe those beings as being unborn to creation. They are the, the bornless things um, because they were not created. And like humanity is actually known for quite a long time that there's things which are not part of the created order. And they're rather than being created things, they're uncreated. And death itself is kind of the uncreation of life. And if you've ever been around like a dead animal, and I hate to bring up Anthony's favorite opossum, Beelzebub, the, the dead opossum under the church he had to get out. You know, they, they stink. They create a menace. Um, and you understand something like a like Beelzebub, who does have a spiritual significance as being a conscious evil demon wanting to come and, and afflict and oppress you. But then there's also the material side, which our ancient ancestors understood, where he is the disease-riddled demon living on the dead corpse of an animal in the insects, those disease-riddled insects that are swarming around a dead body. And, you know, that's not something which is really created. You can go and you can collect all those insects and, you know, contain them, ship them away like they've got the coronavirus or something. I don't know. Um, but the truth is you'll get another dead body. And it, it, it doesn't have a direct cause and effect relationship like you do with, say, life, where you have two parents, they have a child or, or something like that. Evil, it is uncreated. It's it's kind of out of the void. It's out of the nothingness. And it's, it's a really tragic thing. Um, and that's what we find. In fallen creation, there are a lot of things around us which are not part of God's design. They're just kind of products of the void, of people choosing to turn away from God, and even creation itself being fractured and having cracks with the void seeping up into it. Um, and that's that's really where we're at. Um, Anthony, your thoughts on all this? I was just going to say, um, to your point, with death, that Dylan's bringing up this, you know, this idea of it being uncreative and so some people might think okay well if it's uncreated god's uncreated maybe it's internal or something like that that's not all the direction he's going um but it is very interesting because in death you do see uncreation you literally see some, something that is orderly something that's functional and fits within the network of the rest of creation life starting to go away starting to disappear is an an act of uncreation or at least it's an event of uncreation and uncreate the possum in, in, in a sense is being uncreated <clears throat> and so I think in some sense you don't really see that resolve until something else is recreated created out of it and so you know it stinks it's bad it's bothersome there's almost no benefit to having a dead possum around or under <laughs> the church for instance but um, which is something I had to handle. Uh, I think it was almost a year ago now, I guess. Right? Yeah, it's been a while. But in any case, um, until it goes all the way to the other side of the coin where it has started to be recreated into something like grass. You know, it's been decomposed fully and is starting to be reordered into life and something that can be beneficial and give life to other things. Is this where we start breaking out into the circle of life? Yeah, yeah, um... <laughs> But don't get me started on The Lion King. I, I actually think The Lion King is probably one of the best Disney originals. But Yes, the original, but, yes. yes the, well, yeah. Uh, again, not going on that rabbit trail right now, but coming back around to Pastor Amanda. Um, another question that's very logical within this conversation mm -hmm. is the question of, does everything happen for a reason? Well, and to that, it's, there's a yes and a no, and it, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, you go play out in, in traffic, you get hit by a car. Uh, the saying is, you you lay you was it you lay down with dogs, you'll wake up with fleas. There's a natural order to the world, and so we can say that things, everything does happen for a reason. At the same time, however, those reasons can be very abstract and very messy. And again, it, it's like with you know tornadoes and weather patterns. We can those who are very smart and study those things can say this is exactly how this happened and why this storm was so bad. I know a lot of people were kind of freaked out because it followed the exact same path as a tornado that happened in the late 90s in Nashville. It also happened on a Super Tuesday, which apparently happened in 2008. And so there were some people 
worried about that. But again, there's an order to the world, so that it would make sense for if well, certain conditions have to. Let me let me take this to a little bit more difficult layer of question. Okay. Does everything that happens happen because it is part of God's design? Oh. Well, then that one's a little bit, yeah, a little bit clearer than no in the sense of, um, again, we talked about God's power and strength does not come from things happening exactly the way God wants them to happen. And we talk about God's perfect will and God's permissible will, what God allows versus what God wants. And even in the created order, there are, there are things that God wants, and God wants life and life everlasting. Um, and there are things, though, because of the natural order and because of the way people have acted and reacted, uh, that does not happen. Yeah. And so, again, there's kind of reason behind it, but it's not the reason, the logos, the logic of God. Yeah, there, there are definitely things which happen in life that are outside of God's design. Um, Pastor Mike, your thoughts well, on this? You know, I believe with the sovereignty of God is much greater um, revealed to us with creatures that have free will not just creatures, but, you know, as Amanda said, you know, one thing happens uh, that that has an effect and something else happens, and that even happens in the scientific community. But with all of that being said, if everything's predetermined and predestined, um, then you you lose a, a powerful part of the sovereignty of God, if you ask me personally. Yeah, you really do. And it's one of those things where people often think they're elevating the sovereignty of God by having him be the puppet master, but it's actually diminishing the sovereignty of God. Yes. Because it's saying that he's not capable of creating something that that does have that will, that has that ability to think and to operate. It's 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 a much less impressive of a creation and it's also it's it's one that we can actually fully understand in our terms. We we totally understand what it's like to be a puppet master. Well, like I, I can totally do that. You know, and God's just not afraid to, to make himself vulnerable. If you even look at the incarnation of Christ Jesus coming uh, as an infant, a child, being you know trusting his life to others. So God is not afraid of vulnerability. All right. Anthony, do you have some thoughts on that? Um, I would just say that, you know, God is also meek. Um in terms that we would be able to understand and that for God, again, to be ultimately powerful also means that God is going to be a meek God and allow for um, things outside of himself to truly exist. So, yeah. And, and I'm just going to throw in the, the contrasting opinion here and saying God is all powerful Amen. and does come with yeah. a sword. Absolutely. And, and do not be, do not be. Let us straight. Do not be confused. I said meek, not weak. <laughs> and let there, us not put there, God in a box and say that God cannot work through nature yeah. as as well because he, he does, and we have those stories in our Bible. Yeah. All right, so, Anthony, should we attach moral and spiritual significance to natural disasters? Because that is one of the things that we oftentimes think in a moment like this. I would say yes, but carefully. See, like, a lot of people want to turn to Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff like that and be like, all right, look at this, you know, and they want to point to the story of Noah and say, all right, look at this. Well, our uh, divine revelation just so happens to specifically say that those were acts of God. It doesn't take the time to point out every single storm and things of that nature. Um, and the fact that we're not living in a perfect creation is attributed to the fall of Adam and Eve. So, um, generally speaking, God has not caused the storms, and the tragedy. Tragedy, again, is traced back to the sin of Adam and Eve. Um, so, in a sense, tragedy is an act of uncreation. God spent the time to build up this awesome order for us to live in, place us in the Garden of Eden, and then, in our sinfulness, we dismantled that order. We used what God blessed us with, our free will, and the power and blessing that he gave us out of his love, and abused it. <clears throat> in effect afterwards uncreating what god had created and so tragedy is not of god that being said god can use tragedy and redeem those moments and work through them but that doesn't mean that god willed them in the first place that just means that our god is so awesome that he doesn't have to have the perfect situation to work in he can work in situations which we would seem to think were um harder and more difficult so that being said <clears throat> we're not yet in the end times. We're not, or, you know, after the end times. We're not in the newly created Jerusalem. We're not in heaven. Uh, this is not yet the last days. Um, we live in a world which is 
imperfect and fallen still, even after the arrival of the church and after uh, Jesus Christ. So um, we have to recognize that there is something wrong in the world, and we need to be grateful for Christ's sacrifice. Um, we should have hopeful eagerness for heaven, the resurrection, and new Jerusalem. And we can look at the natural disasters and think of these things. Whenever we see these things, we should have a longing for heaven. Paul says that um, something along the lines of there's nothing more pitiful than a Christian who doesn't and can't look forward to heaven. So I think that um, there really is some uh, awesome power to looking forward to that. Um, you know, the other day when we were doing our live stream Wednesday, the like door mysteriously opened. <laughs> and it actually took us to like the, one of the best conversations I think we've had online. But um, – so whenever we're real casual, we do have a good time talking about stuff. Uh, Anthony mentioned some stuff about the end times. Anybody want to rebut that and give some different perspectives on well, that? Yeah, I do. I just want to say, you know, uh, just to help clarify, when it, when Anthony said we're not living in the last days, he means in the kingdom of heaven set up completely and fully. He's not talking about the last days right before the kingdom comes. So um, just to help with that well, clarification. Well, I actually don't know what Anthony's saying. Oh, that, well, maybe I'm, I, just, I, I'm, I'm ready to hear some debate yeah, about this that. to talk about it because we, we may have different views on this. And it's, it's fine for people to have different views, though, of course, we're not universalists and we say everything's permissible. I mean, there's definitely things which are pertinent to salvation, which must be hammered out in strict orthodoxy. But, well, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to step out on on a limb or get out on a limb here. I do believe we're living in the last days before the return of Christ. Now, you know, for me, I'm 50-something years old. Uh, I realize that, you know, I don't know how much longer I have, but I am living in my last days, whether Christ comes and sets up his kingdom or he comes and calls me home. Manny, your thoughts on this? I think the last days have been happening since, I mean, well, actually, we could say the last days have been happening since the fall, um, to be honest, yeah. um, because we've been moving towards disorder and destruction. And also, I think a lot of our passages in our Gospels and, and the epistles where it says, you know, Jesus is coming back soon, the disciples really thought that meant in their lifetime. And so when you hear these passages about, like we read in Matthew, about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and floods and all these natural disasters, those were happening in their time and they're like yep this is this is it and then they go to paul and they're like hey paul um, people are, christians are getting old and they're dying and jesus is still not back yet what do we do and this is where paul writes to the church in thessalonica um you know i don't want you to be uninformed brothers about what is happening and so and also speaking to something anthony said i think the passage he was referring to is where paul says if christ was not resurrected uh, then we have no hope. And if we have no hope, then we are to be pitied most amongst men. And the focus, again, is not, and I don't think this is where Pastor Anthony was going, but the focus is not on a physical or even metaphysical place called heaven. The focus is on life and life everlasting. And that life and life everlasting can be experienced even now. Now, not in its fullness. And that's what we call glorification. That will only happen when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And there will be nothing left but the kingdom. But... We don't, and also some of these modern ideas of tribulation and rapture are that. They're modern ideas and interpretations of scripture, and often they are misplaced interpretations. Things are bad. Things have always been bad. Things may be getting worse, and in some aspects, things are getting actually a little better. Yeah. We have indoor plumbing, for instances. I really don't want to go a in a time one. machine and go backwards yes, on that yes, one. Yes, do not want to go back on that either. But regardless of how the moments are happening, good or bad, there is a general trend trend towards chaos without God intersecting in real time in real places with real Amen. people. All right, so a lot to, to talk <laughs> about here, and I'm just going to come in and give my thing. I, I think we've been living in the last days for a long time. I would have, if somebody just asked me that outright, I would have said we've been living in the last time since Jesus was, was born of Mary and kind of is ushering in that new era, but I've been sold to take it all the way back to the fall. <laughs> Um, on Amanda just saying that right now and the reason why is a lot of times we look at our world and we we look at the debauchery and the sin going on in our world and say how could it get much worse than this like the text I was reading earlier out of Genesis 6 literally by scripture's own testimony humanity is doing nothing but evil like if they're breathing they're doing evil and you know you watch on ancient aliens they reference that scripture there with the Nephilim how the sons of God they're intermingling with the, the like daughters of man and you know 
I think they're totally wrong in their application because they want to make this out to be like an episode of the X-Files. But as far as them looking at this with like a cosmic outlook, they're actually right. It does take you to a crazy like wild hair going on in the hands and everything. Because <laughs> the whole party that humanity was having, the sin Caligula party going on in Genesis 6, was so bad that even the, an the angelic beings, the sons of God, got in on it. And God steps in and says, no more. Yeah. You know, th these beings, which are supposed to be, you know, amoral, it's crazy. It's, it's totally, I, I don't know how you could get much worse than that by definition than what the scripture says there in Genesis 6, 12. But you look at other things historically, um, you look at a lot of the Roman uh, cities, things like Corinth, you look at things going on in the, the Roman Empire, total debauchery. I don't know how humanity's done some pretty sick, gross, depraved things. Um, you even look at the history of, of Israel. Why do they? Why are they perpetually told by the prophets that you're either going to go into exile, or when they're in exile, this is why you're in exile, or when they're out of exile and they've kind of gone back to the homeland? And you know, Haggai and Zechariah are coming out talking to them like, "Hey, you remember this temple? You're sitting at home with those cedar panels." Do they come to him and say, "You had that bad economic policy. You you had a bad system of government a hundred years ago. That's why Nebuchadnezzar came." Does, can somebody remind me why is it that they they go to to Babylon? Is it because of spiritual collapse or is it because of some earthly governmental collapse? No, it's definitely spiritual collapse. Spiritual, and yeah. even specifically to your example of government, we hear in our in our Old Testament books kind of the history that is written through the perspective of the exiles, where we hear in Joshua and Judges, and then into Kings. They want a king because they thought a new government would fix the spiritual matters. And, of course, then we get into, like, second kings, and we're like, no, it does not. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> or Samuel, I'm sorry. One of the things that the world does not want to admit is that cultural decline and, like, the death of civilizations, sure, there's economic and, like, governmental ramifications, but it's almost always truly because of spiritual decline. Like, you read history books, and they give you, like, the technical stuff, but let's be honest about Rome. Let's be honest about what was going on in Israel when they get toted off by Nebuchadnezzar. Spiritual decline begets those other things. God comes to offer us the, the way of life, and yet people will say no to that. And then they'll want to blame it on, on other things, which again, not that those things aren't there, but it all comes back from a spiritual good stewardship. That's part of being a, a biblical um, believer. And when we, we look at the fallen creation and this question of the last days, we really have been in the last days for a long time. Like, I, I don't know how much worse it can get. We've seen calamities flooding the earth. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, we, yes, not, yes, we pray to God, say the Lord's Prayer. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I don't pray calamities on people, though I would love to see our, our Lord return. It's always weird when you watch those movies and they're like, don't do that because that'll cause Jesus to return. It's like, don't, don't you want Jesus to be here? <laughs> Crazy stuff. Um, but yes, yes, I'm, I'm totally into the mindset of, we are, we are in the last days. But as far as the the question of tribulations and stuff of that and what it will actually be like the date and time when Jesus will return, as the scripture also prescribes, you're not going to know. And as we read out there in Matthew 23, the stuff that we've been given as signs, the scriptures by their own merit say these are not the complete signs. They are just the beginning. So we don't have any markers to tell us exactly what's going to happen. But all the way back to Anthony. <laughs> Anthony, do you have any thoughts to our... <laughs> Long um, I probably really should have said last day, um, but I looked it up just now. Anytime I see last day in the Bible, it's always connected to resurrection. That's what I was kind of referring to. Mm. Um, you know, I was bringing up heaven, resurrection, new Jerusalem. Uh, so, I mean, in the end times, it's not, I don't think it's going to be indicated by great, terrible, massive destruction. And yeah, that might happen in between. But the, the very end is resurrection, new Jerusalem, new life, yeah. heaven on yes. earth. It's going to be the experience of heaven. And so I do think, you know, we need to be hopeful and eager for that. And I'm personally, I don't believe that I've experienced resurrection in my life, even though I believe that it's possible for God to do that now. Um, I mean, I mean that in the way the scriptures mean it, the physical resurrection. The, the full God, judgment. The, yeah, resurrection. the full yeah. judgment of the well, living and the dead. I was like, I'm yeah. hoping as a pastor into... you've experienced resurrection. <laughs> well, that would be meta that would be very metaphorical. And I think, like, if you do a word study of resurrection in the Bible, it's almost always going to be physical. Yeah, you're, you're talking um, a about A lot of times the... we let our language get detached from the way the Bible uses it. But and um, if I can say, I'm not, I'm not like 
haven't had this whole conversation and like rebuke or chastise Anthony. I, the, Jesus doesn't come to people and say, you've got to have a good understanding of, of end times and know whether you're a millennial or post-millennial or amillennial in order to be saved. Not, not, that is not one that I would consider pertinent to salvation. Um, Jesus doesn't have that as a requirement. But it is an interesting conversation to have because people come differently. And I'll let Anthony continue. I mean, that, that was really it. I should have said last day. I said last days um, with the implication that it would take uh, some time. But uh, you mean you meant the final eschaton? Yeah, I mean the it it is normally translated last day, um, but yeah, it is. That's just that's what I meant. I should have said singular. No, you're good. No, you're day. fine. It, yeah, it pr- prompted good conversation. This prompted a great conversation, so I'm really glad you said it. And again, I'm I'm I am inquisitive of thoughts on this because again, it's one of those things where. It, it does situate itself where we should have a, a working theology of understanding that, again, there is going to be a return of Christ. There's going to be a bodily, physical resurrection um, where we will be given new bodies. There will be a new creation, new Jerusalem. Christ is going to judge the living and the dead. But as far as the exact details with within all of that and you know people talking about you're going to look like balls of light in heaven, when, when it gets to that level, you know, I, I don't know. But at the same time, there are there is a basic framework of that we should understand. And like, you know, I would just like to say that there is data and near of near death experiences and and uh, people who have literally died and then come back, uh, so to speak. And you know, there's 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 this angelic sense, this you know, and always you know coming to the light and all that. But the truth is, there is the the soul, the spirit departs from the body. And though that body, it goes back into that body, but it is a returning to God. And uh, so there's there's plenty of uh, stuff out there that that has good data that that points to that. And uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we really need in this conversation is like a dedicated camera for Amanda's eyeballs <laughs> as the things which get said throughout this. <laughs> there, it's just been a phenomenal reaction, and, and it's it's such a tragedy that if you're not in the studio, you can't see that. Yeah, there's a reason we, do why we need don't have like that a, camera. But we've started a whole bunch of topics here. But you know, I'm, you know, I'm I'm totally good as pa- as a pastor saying that I have been in the presence of those who have died, and there is something very unique in a godly person's life in the in the midst of their passing from this world to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know that I'm not talking about near death experience. I'm talking about death. Yeah, that that you can feel the presence of God often, and uh, I don't know if I have the words to explain it, but it is totally uh, reverent, and uh, to be in that presence is remarkable. Remarkably, uh, it, it's just a, a great gift of God to realize uh, that God's presence is there. And to to where we're at now as Christians, we are called to be regenerate people. And when Nicodemus comes to talk with Jesus about this, and Jesus says, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus, he's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, surely you mean this like as a cute use of speech. This is just a language thing. And he's just like, no, you've got to be born again. Like, you you have to, to die. The old self has to die. You have to be born again, resurrected, regenerated as a new Christian. Now, again, that's not the fullness of Christ has judged the living and the dead, and there are new bodies which are, are capable of that eternal life. That That is a separate thing. But as far as where we're at now, we are called to be the old self died, the new self resurrected. Well, born again, really. You're regenerated as a new thing. It's not like the old sin should be resurrected with you. We um, that That's not what God calls us to do. Um, there, there might be some who assert that theology, that you have that confession at the altar, now go do what you want. The, the truth is we are called to be a, a transformed people who are regenerate, not degenerate, but regenerate. Um, so well, yeah. and to bring this conversation around full circle, that regenerate, that that new Christian, uh, that that new uh, you know creation, there still has free will to yeah. choose evil again yeah. and um, and to to really turn away from God. And see, that's where we get the the angry emails <laughs> the, on, on sanctification. Um, which is a conversation for another day. Um, Amanda, any final thoughts on all this? I uh, know, but I guess to get us back on topic was if we speak about natural disasters and especially the tornado that hit, I, I heard a remark uh, on the radio, and I know they're just trying to get pithy sayings, sayings together so they can make it make their sound bite. 
Uh, but it said human nature is greater than nature, and what they were speaking towards is that the compassion and love of people, which is a, uh, a reclaiming of the nature of God, uh, that love and that, that mercy that people are showing is better and greater than any tragedy or natural disaster that's thrown our way. And we're in a culture that really is experienced revival or bust. And this is a great opportunity with so many people having that charitable impulse right now. It's a great time for us to to give that full theology. You don't want to treat this like people do at 9-11 where they're kind of mealy-mouthed. They, they don't want to go into the hairs of why terrible things happen. Um, do innocent um, people as far as like an airplane hitting something or somebody that's you know asleep in the night and a tornado comes. But the church needs to step up to the plate now. And while people do have these serious theological questions, talk to about it. Um, and again, that, that best works when you're talking with people person to person. Um, so think about those in your life who would have these serious theological questions. Reach out to them. You know, that's a great response to this. Um, and if you have questions yourself, you know, reach out to, to other Christians, um, to, to whoever it may be, um, those who are well fortified in their faith, whether it be a pastor, just somebody who's a, a good brother or sister in Christ. So that's where we're going to wrap this up. Um, the Nazarene Relief Fund can be found again if you go down to the Mid-South District Church of the Nazarene. If you go to their webpage, you can find it there, or you can go to midsouth-district-church-of-of-the-nazarene.square.site. I know it's kind of a crazy website. It's not the most convenient one, but <laughs> it will get you there. And that's a place that people can donate monetarily to that cause. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts on the program? No. <laughs> Would you close no. us in prayer then? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I was actually going to put that link in the comments, but <laughs> in any case, let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to <clears throat> be able to speak into situations like these. Lord, we pray that though we know that you didn't cause these disasters in Nashville with the tornado, and for that matter, even things like you know the coronavirus that's uh, sweeping around, Lord, we know that you can work in these situations, that you can bring life, bring blessing, and that you can redeem them and even work through them to bless people. Lord, we pray that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 And may all of your conversations take you to eschatology in times, <laughs> and maybe you look at all of those big nasty words like millennial, a millennial, tribulation, stuff like that, and, you know, those conversations to be really good. Well, with that, God love you and have a blessed day.